This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Welcome to Shift Run Stop. We have with us today Rainer Knizia. Am I saying that right? Is that the yes, right That's correct, yes. Rainer Knizia. Rainer is uh, famously a games designer. Uh, Rainer, what is a German board game? We're starting with a difficult question. <laughs> um, a German board game is mainly characterized through the game mechanics. That's what creates the excitement of the game, not so much, let's say, the American-style game, which is very much driven by the theme. If you're not a role-playing person, if you're not somebody who's really driven by a strong theme, I think you get a lot of enjoyment out of the European-style or the German-style games uh, because they give you lots of nice challenges uh, through the game mechanics. The game mechanics sets up the interaction between the players. It is what drives the, the fun in the game, essentially. You're not actually living in Germany anymore, are you? You're based in the UK. Is there a reason why you're, why you're not in Germany if, uh, if that's the, sort of the heart of these kind of board games that you're making? Well, my business is partially based in Germany and partially oh. based uh, in Britain. I came to uh, Britain 17, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, I was still working for a large German bank and uh, I came over to uh, head uh, their uh, mortgage subsidiary here uh, that was in Bracknell and I was at that time the general manager responsible for the whole operational business yes I had long played with the idea to jump and uh, to turn my hobby into my profession which mm-hmm. is the game design which I've done all my life essentially and uh, managing a 300 people company with uh, more than a billion pound new business every year is not a side job it is a full time <laughs> job of course I, I always wanted to break the paradigm of not having time and I wanted to have time and said okay I'm the person who really does best when I concentrate and focus on one thing Mm -hmm. and so um, it was well thought through and when the time was right through the other change of ownership I thought "Mm, that's the right time to say okay this is not my future I have a different future so I jumped and um, uh, since then I'm um, have been designing games and uh, yes they they have been successful. <laughs> when you made that move, when you um, made, as you said, made your hobby into your, your full-time job, how risky was that for you? For me, it was clear when I get out of the banking side, out of the management, it's not just for a sabbatical. Uh, I think once you're out of this profession, out of this job, it's very difficult to come back. Uh, so I didn't kid myself, and I thought about this for a number of years, and it was, as I say, well thought through. In the end, I decided I've only got one life and I need to do what is close to my heart and I had established some successful games at that time already so I had my connections to the different publishers I had already won the German game prize once Mm -hmm. um, so that opened some doors and in hindsight I must say it was it was the right decision I've I've learned more and more if you follow your heart uh, then you don't experience things as work you just do what you want to do it drives you out of bed every morning and I get up very early every morning and uh, you do what you love to do and uh, the money just follows that because I mean if you're not working you can do it all day and all night uh, and if somebody competes with you by doing work they will always lose out yes are there times when you feel like you don't want to do it are there, are there aspects of it that you really so you have to force yourself to do or do you have ways of getting around that yeah I mean are there times when I don't want to do it essentially no I want to do it every day and I really enjoy it still 
uh, I take out two weeks over Christmas where I do not think about games uh, just to keep my sanity and to get a little so bit... So everyone else is thinking about games at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I won't play. <laughs> Um, are you ready for your quiz? Yeah, hit me. <laughs> on stock quiz for Rue that I've done for episode 40. It's nice of you. Thank I know. So my first question, <laughs> which was the question that inspired the quiz, because I was trying to remember the answer myself. What was the name of the man we talked to outside Hamley's? Oh, OK. So we went in, we looked at all the Lego, we came outside and there was a man <laughs> and he very kindly agreed to be interviewed. I think his name was Mark. Yeah, I think it was too, yeah. Well, oh, you haven't, you haven't fact-checked then? You're just going off in instinct here? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think they're written down on my other computer, so um, <laughs> it's going to be pretty much Scoring based on memory. I yeah. think, I'm pretty sure his name was Mark. Yeah, and I'm not very good with names, but, but that rings that a bell. That was good. Well done. Um, what are mine and Dave's middle names? Well, I know yours, yeah. because you've been on the, uh, the middle names blog project thing. Yes. Uh, and also, I remember discussing it with you. Your mm-hmm. name is Layla Estelle. Yeah, very good. Dave... Has a middle name. It was in the episode, I think. Yeah. Oh, I should know this, really, shouldn't I? Because I sounds like a surname. Evans. No. Okay. F- 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 no. It's. I think it's Ellis. I honestly didn't know that. Okay. What were the names of the babies that have been on this show? There have been two babies on this <laughs> yes. show. So, Catherine Flynn and Peter Fletcher had a baby that was called Edie. Yeah, very good. Very good. Edie. And Maggie Adairon Pocock had a baby, and she was called Lauren. Yes. I win! Yes, brilliant. Two points. Brilliant, well done. Um, I, I remember Maggie's full name. Yeah. Because Maggie Ad Air in. I spent a while memorising this. Oh, yeah, this. that's right. But then, when we actually came <laughs> to the interview, I went to say her full name, and I very nearly said Maggie put air in, because <laughs> I was imagining putting air into. Maggie from The Simpsons using my little memory, visual memory trick. But yeah, add Erin. Yeah, okay, back to the quiz. Question X. Question um, four. I'm excited about this quiz. What's, only because you've just got one right. What's I've the got n- right. <laughs> you have got, you've got, got one wrong. out of the three, yeah. you've got two right. Um, number four. Yeah. What's the name of, Alan Dave, of the Alan Davies sitcom that Izzy Sooty is set to appear in this year? Is it the one about chefs? Yes. Is it called Whites? Yes. Yay! Because that's, I remember that because that's the name of the clothes that they wear. They're called mm-hmm. Whites. And it's not about white supremacy because yes. she said she was in the pub and they were, they were yes. sort of raising their glasses to Whites. <laughs> that's right. That was good. That was a good episode. <laughs> good. I'm a little bit in love with Izzy Sooty. Yeah. I think Rachel knows this about me. Oh, and I'm, she's okay with that? Well, <laughs> relatively. <laughs> Hello, Izzy. As long as, uh, as long as it stays like yeah. within the confines of this podcast. And watching um, awesome. series five and six of Peep Show repetitively, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Obsessively, over and over. You mentioned earlier that you've been designing games for your whole life. Uh, I read that you made your first game, or you designed your first game when you were six years old. How many games have you made to date? It must be quite a few by now. Well, I have always been keen on playing games and I grew up in a small city in Germany, southern Germany, and I never had the opportunity to see many rich games because it was a small 
town and it it had only one game shop and I didn't have much of lots of pocket money so uh, clearly I was fascinated by more themes so I started uh, developing my own stuff and at that time it was not for the focus of publishing it was just oh we loved it we played it and I developed new things um, it was much later that I started to do that more seriously and say, oh, I could actually try to publish some of this stuff. I had a very big advantage. I have probably had uh, 20, 25 years experience in game design, in inverted commas, yes, mm-hmm. uh, and trying things out, and I knew lots of games uh, when I started actually to do that on a more professional level. And I think that helps a lot, because if you get into game designers in to many other industries and in other professions it takes a long time to make your experiences uh, initially you think very quickly you know everything and then over the years you understand that you low, know less and less and less so the longer you're in there the less you know but not because you know less because you understand how much you don't know yes and how many games have you uh, designed up until now have you lost count yet (laughs) you're quite right you asked me that as well and I didn't answer the question so this is after all a interrogation (laughs) 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 Um, it depends how I look at it I mean you asked me how many have I designed and um, this probably goes into the thousands but what does design mean I mean it's probably better to look how many have I published and so far published over 500 uh, it's it's actually funny when I was waiting for this interview here I had actually a folder of game desi- design ideas which are 10 years old and I looked through them and there were about 50 in the folder and I went through them in 15 minutes and I probably killed 50 of them yes because uh, it's it's ideas I mean what is a design it's an idea it's a sketch it's something I worked on for an hour got stuck left it uh, mm-hmm. never get back to it and now I'm trying to, to sort out some of these things and there are a few good ideas in there and now we are in the electronic age so you can revive some ideas which didn't work manually so the count is not so easy um, because what is a designed game and how often do you count it if it appears in Britain and afterwards it's sub-licensed to America or to another country and you make some changes when is the game a game and when is the game another game so what is one game what is what it's different games where does it stop so to speak if I make a game and it plays but I'm not happy with it and I don't want to publish it. Is it still to be counted as a game? So it's a very tricky grey area. But it doesn't really matter. It's many, many hundreds and which have been published, which are out there in boxes as products. And our listeners will probably know some of them. What are some of your best-known games? My most successful game uh, was The Lord of the Rings. I've done a, a number of games on that subject together with sophisticated games. Uh, and that was, of course, due to the movies and due to the strong Tolkien license uh, a very very successful wheel sold many many copies it was a high priced game uh, and it, it was a fully cooperative game uh, the viewpoint from the book is we are the fellowship of the ring how do we play a game where I cannot take a knife and ram it into Frodo's back to get the ring I mean it, it just doesn't work like this we are all one party and so the Lord of the Rings was a cooperative game where we all play together it's not that you write in the rules this is a cooperative game you have to work together. Nobody cares about this. What you have to do is you have to, in the first one, two, three turns, you have to throw so much evil thing at the players that they say, there's no way we can survive this. We will never ever make it over the first board, and there are four scenario boards, yes? And suddenly they say, 
we have to work together, we have to do that together. Usually a new player in a more sophisticated game has a disadvantage because he hasn't got the experience or if somebody is more a casual player than the others are gamers, then this person is at a disadvantage, not in the Lord of the Rings because the others need to get him on board, they need to get him into the party to do their part in the game for the success. So the Lord of the Rings was very successful but in the meantime we have built some other very strong brands uh, one of the brands I'm very proud of very very which is a very successful uh, brand and published in many many languages all over the world is uh, ingenious um, and ingenious in my eyes is a very typical uh, European or German style game it's an abstract game and that's interesting as well because initially that means 10 15 years ago all the publishers keep kept telling me, don't do abstract games. We can't sell them because we are m missing one major part in the sales process that is a theme, that is something that grabs you. If I have a pyramid there on the cover and I see I'm in Egypt and I'm the pharaoh, this grabs you. If I have just abstract tiles, we're missing this part, yes. But nevertheless, uh, we came to the conclusion that we wanted to do that uh, abstract game and it's very interesting, it became a very successful game and there were two very successful games in the abstract category uh, a few years ago. One is Blockus mm. and the other one is Ingenious. They have both been very successful. If you go to Amazon today, you see them on the top pages. Uh, and they actually st started a new trend. And uh, over the last years, we have seen many more abstract games, and they are bestsellers partially. I mean, uh, Cosmos is one of the, in Germany, one of the successful publishers in Germany. Uh, they actually have a whole line of uh, abstract games, and they even start out now saying, oh, you offered us a game which has uh, a theme. Can't we turn it uh, into, a, into a situation where it hasn't got a theme? I have a, a very nice uh, two-player card game which is called uh, Lost Cities. Uh, Lost Cities is sometimes called the spouse game, which means a lot of gamers are male. Uh, and about Lost Cities, they say, but this one I can play with my girlfriend. And so it seems to kind of catch the, the female spirit as well. And so I set out and wanted to do a, uh, a, a multiplayer version, a board game, because the Lost Cities originally is only a two-player game. Uh, and I had a Lost Cities board game. And, of course, I went to Cosmos because Cosmos uh, is um, the publisher of Lost Cities, the original publisher of the card game. And they wanted to do it. They said, it's a great game. And then in the process they said, but we'd like to slightly move it away from that. Um, so uh, they came up with this uh, Celtic the theme and called is Celtis and it became more abstract. The game didn't really change but the setting of the game, the presentation changed. Uh, the flavor, the thematic flavor went out a little bit and I had very great concerns actually because I said, look I have such a fantastic Lost Cities game, it is very much in the spirit of Lost Cities and now you're turning it into something else. I will never have a chance again to do a board game about Lost Cities because this is the one. Yes. <laughs> so we agreed that in Germany because Cosmos is big in Germany, I would allow them to do um, the Celtis game, and everywhere else it would be Lost Cities, still the board game. Right. And then happened a, um, an incident, because that game then won uh, the um, German Game of the Year. Uh, and then suddenly, of course, everybody wanted Celtis, and nobody wanted Lost Cities anymore. Not because Lost Cities is a bad game, but because Celtis is, uh, at this time, was, of course, a hot game through the award. So then, essentially, I had to um, give in and say, okay, you can do uh, Celtis everywhere in the world, except 
from America. I talked to Rio Grande, um, and they they stuck with uh, Lost Cities because uh, the Lost Cities card game is one of the core games for them. Uh, so the game is uh, the Lost Cities board game is still available in English, uh, and therefore also in, in Britain, of course. And uh, as Essentially, everybody in the world speaking, speaks English. At least there is one route into that original Lost Cities board game as well. Name four of the games mentioned in MJ Hibbert's song Hey Hey 16K, the first internet hit. MJ Hibbert was one of our guests on this show, if you didn't hear that. Yeah, and you did a little live uh, performance of he that did. song in a square. Let's think. Jet Set mm. Willy. No. Manic Miner. Not Jet Set. Jet, jet, jet Pack. Oh. Manic Miner. Yes. Uh, it's okay if you want to sing it. Well, it's the rappy bit. Well, I say rappy. It's the kind of <laughs> the spoken word bit in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. It's quite a hard mm. question. <laughs> oh, it's driving me mad. Uh, do you have a recording of it that we can <clears throat> that we can play? Because everyone's going to be frustrated. Um, no, not on me. Okay, we'll we'll, sli- we'll splice one in. Yes. Now. Jess and Willie, Cyberwolf, Lords of Midnight Underworld, Dosha, Transamant Attack, and of course, Manic Minor. The Hobbit and Mike Laura and Elites. It made a generation who can code a bubble before proper consoles who all know that the games you get today, well, they might be very flash. But they'll never beat the thrill of getting through Jetpack Oh hey, hey 16k, what does that get you today? You eat more than that for a letter Old school rampacks are much better Of course I didn't hear that so I don't know, I don't know what any of them are uh, I've got written down Okay. Manic Miner, yep. Ant Attack, oh. The Hobbit yeah? The Hobbit and Night Lure and Elite Of course I should have um, said Elite yeah. so, And the other one was Jetpack Confused. And also, if you think about the Rob Manual video, there are some There's graphics from the games. Yeah, of course. So that could help with yeah. that, that particular question. Should it come up again in your life? <laughs> so, Ingenious was one of the starting points for this trend of abstract games. Uh, as I said, I think Ingenious is a typical European or German style board game. Uh, essentially, my idea was I wanted to create something that is uh, very simple to communicate, very simple rules. I like simple rules. The rules set up the players for a lot of interaction and then the always new things and the competition comes through the interaction. So the, for me, the, the really new and interesting aspects in the game is always the, the counter players. And the rules for me are essentially a platform uh, and a setting where the players can go and then interact with each other. Yes. And uh, in Ingenious, uh, I said, why can't we simply make long lines of a color and score for that? So I said, um, you place one red piece and you get one point. And the second one plays a second red piece there. So you have a line of two red pieces, you get two red points. Okay, not very exciting so far. So you need to see, okay, what can I do about this? And I said, uh, I need to somewhat restrict the degrees of freedom. So I came up and said, I don't have 
pieces which have one color, I have pieces which have two colors. So kind of domino pieces, they are um, hexagonal, but I mean, they're domino pieces. So if I place uh, the red piece uh, there in the line, then with the red side of the piece, there's a blue side of the piece, for example. So suddenly the blue gets into the way, and then I come to the conclusion, ah, but now I can continue with the blue side, and then there's a green side, and so suddenly there are six colors, and they are everywhere because there are always two colored combines on this. So you try to find the best position for your new piece, so that, oh, I have a piece which is green and which is uh, yellow. Oh, there's lots of green, so I can get green, but maybe I place a yellow, or maybe I play in between, so I get a bit of green and a bit of, a bit of yellow. Uh, so that was the starting point. Of course, we looked at what's the topology for that. Do we go onto a square grid? Uh, then we, we noted from a square grid, of course, you have four directions, and that wasn't quite enough. So we decided, as I already said, we go on to a hex grid. That's a better degree of freedom. It gives us more choices. We also experimented with terminals, yes, so, so to speak, three colors on one piece. Uh, and that was too many colors and too confusing and too challenging. So what I've described as, so to speak, that's what the game is, came from a analysis and the trying out of many different aspects. And that's how game design goes. You try different, uh, different routes, you try more freedom, less freedom, more challenging, more complexity, all these things, and you end up, at least that's my method, you end up with... Uh, the best possible combination. So that's, that's not an unusual process for you? That's something that you go through a lot in your design? Yeah, that's exactly why I mentioned it. It's a very typical process, yeah. uh, what you do, and it's a process which, uh, with Ingenious, is very, very easy to describe and very easy to see. I mean, uh, as the listeners might not find it easy, but uh, <laughs> some others are more difficult, let's say, like this. Uh, now, looking at this... It was still about, oh, there's a very long red line, I'm lucky enough, and I draw red, and I make even more red points because I can extend the line by one. Uh, so we needed something more to take this kind of luck out of the, the extreme out of the game. And uh, the trick was, and the really good idea was um, to say, okay, we have six colors. We score the points in the different colors. So I get red points and I get blue points. And the trick is, if you look over the six colors, the color in which you have the fewest points is the color that counts for you. So this is like in real life. You don't want, you want to have balance, you don't want a weakness. Uh, you have to look after uh, what's most important at the moment. You need to focus on that. And then you have to challenge and say, okay, I could get another eight red points, but what does it help me? Because I've only got three yellow points. So maybe it's better not to take eight red points, but just one yellow because the one yellow point gets me from three to four, and I may be better than the other guy who has blue, and he's freaking blue. And maybe I can place it in a way so that all the blue lines get kind of blocked off. And I don't get uh, that many points, but he is now really, or she is now really in trouble. So there's lots of things that come in there. So that's, that's ingenious, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds ingenious. <laughs> I want to play it now. It's, it's, oh, it sounds great. I've played Blockus, which you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, was another abstract game. Yeah. Blockus wasn't from your brain? No, I, I feel I have to admit that there are some other people out there who also do good games. Yes. I'm trying to take over the world, but I'm still working on it. Yes. Question six. What did I suggest that you could build with your Lego collection when we were asking you how much Lego you had? Did you suggest that I could build a house? No. Or a box to put the Lego in? No. Oh, well, it was something equally surreal. We were trying to work out how much Lego you had. We were asking you to give us an example of something you could build with it so that we could get a sense of how much there was. And this was before you knew how much there was. Mm. So maybe you guessed like a dog or a horse or something? Because <laughs> you're about to have like a unicorn or an animal of some sort. 
Not that? No, okay. I, I, I... I think oh. it was like a building or a... Like, could you... I'm sure it was, could you build a cupboard to put all the Lego in? No. No? So I think maybe other people were chipping in as well, so it's not... Maybe that was somebody else's suggestion. Um, what was your suggestion? My suggestion was a sports car. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, the next question. Which guest compared us to Press Gang? <laughs> it's a good comparison. <laughs> it's quite an early one. Was it David Schneider? No, sorry, it was Russell. Oh, of course it was. Mm. He said some lovely things when he he said that we were not as shambolic as he expected. I think that was <laughs> that was one of the phrases. Oh. What day of the week did the Earth stand still, according to Paul Carenza? The Earth stood still on a Monday. No. Tuesday. <laughs> no, you can't have that. It was Wednesday. Was it? Remember the day the Earth stood still? Oh, that was a Wednesday. I knew the phrase. Remember, there was a year that was a good year for framing. Who <laughs> framed Roger Rabbit and, and Andy Dufresne framed Shawshank. in Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Oh, yes. Same year. We're quite good. Yeah, we remember something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. ask you some bloody questions about <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, this is by means of opening up a whole new quiz section on yeah. the show. Uh, introducing listeners to guests that they haven't heard before. Exactly. See, I can see exactly. your, your ulterior motive I'm here. I'm hoping this will, yeah, inspire interest in previous episodes. People are thinking, is he sweaty? Was on shift front stop, mm. but I like her. Why haven't I heard her episode? And her amazing song about fire yeah. and uh, doing her down a well voice. I think you want to go back to episode twenty-four ish. Sounds like you've been there again, Ru. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's only any ish on the end, but you're not quite sure. I'm on computers. How do you find um, the UK game culture differs from the rest of Europe? Because certainly my experience of going to Europe is that everybody plays a board game or a card game and it's a social thing that you do after dinner, you know. Comes to the UK and we did we play games as children, but as adults it seems to be less. Is that yeah. true, do you think? Uh, it is true. The gaming culture in Britain is not that strong. Mm. Uh, I know that uh, in Germany uh, there is a real, as you say, there's a real culture of board gaming, uh, it's a family tradition, so people do sit together mm-hmm. and um, in the afternoon, on Saturdays or Sundays, they get out a game and the family plays. And of course, the, the kids grow up playing games mm-hmm. and therefore they carry it into the next generation and that makes a rich population of very educated game players, but also it creates a wonderful market because there is a lot of demand for that and therefore there's a a lot of room for different uh, publishers, niche publishers as well as uh, big publishers. Uh, It's it's a vicious cycle or it's it's a positive cycle so to speak because uh, you have more interesting games so you get more people into playing and whenever you play a game with a non-game they say, oh that's really interesting Uh, and they they start playing. And of course the the cycle turns the other way as well and I think the cycle did turn the other way in Britain because um, we have essentially ended up with nicely packaged and marketed boxes which don't have a lot of, usually don't have a lot of gaming contents, yes. So it's a lot of children's stuff there. It's very difficult to analyze the reasons for it and um, I, I'm not trying to because I, I can tell anything but how can you prove it's the right thing? Uh, it's, it's, it's a pity because it would be so nice to have bigger gaming culture here in Britain as well. There was a thing on an interview that I read well, it was partly in with you and, and some other people um, that said that it's because German TV is so bad that <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a bit a bit unkind. But I think I think there was a game, a kind of a games culture in Britain before we became so Americanized and so 
to do, and so TV based, you know, that's a hobby watching telly in this country. There, there was a richer gaming culture in, in Britain um, mm. some decades ago, but uh, mm. it's very difficult to explain why it went. I would, I would not say German TV is so bad so that people play games, <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't think you can also say that British TV is so excellent that nobody plays games again. I mean, I don't uh. think these explanations work. It's a, however, it's a very uh, important point you're making. Because I'm, I often get asked, do the electronic games kill the social games? Yes. Mm. I don't think that the social games, so that means the, the board games, the family games, com- really compete with the electronic games. I think we're all in the same boat in a way. We are competing uh, with other leisure activities, uh, so where people spend their time, mm. but also where people spend their available money. Uh, so it's more travelling, sports, either active, doing sports or watching sports, watching TV, reading books and, and playing games. And I think I'd rather like to have people, I mean I'm biased, I'd like lots of people to play, and I'd rather like to have people who play computer games, and there are very, some very good computer games around these days, uh, rather than people who travel, because computer games is still closer to me and I think I can get somebody who plays computer games much easier mm-hmm. to playing a board game <laughs> than somebody who travels. And nothing against travelling, I mean, these are all very valuable things to do, apart from watching TV. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they, could take, uh, they could take board games with them while they're travelling. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yes. yes, yes. Okay. Rainer, you, uh, you mentioned electronic games and computer games. Yeah. Uh, in the last few years, some of your games have been ported to mm-hmm. become electronic games, but also you, I believe, have been designing more uh, video games and computer games. How's that working for you, and what are you finding are the the differences in designing for those different mediums? Yeah, that's a very exciting question. Computer games and electronic games have, of course, changed a lot, and I think the kind of bad image they got are really from the past, because uh, initially, as our computers, I mean, the computers... uh, have made such an enormous uh, development over the last 20 years. At that time, you were really playing your tennis, bing, bing, ping pong, and so on. So these were relatively primitive games, uh, and it was really a very um, limited interaction between the PC, me sitting in front of the screen and doing things. I think this has changed a lot, because the processing power and the capabilities of the electronic media are much improved these days. Of course, we know that. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of handheld devices out today, and there are real gaming platforms out, and they, of course, enrich the gaming experience enormously, and they interlink people again. So computer games become social games again. I mean, if you look at the biggest uh, gaming site these days, it's Facebook. Social gaming has really entered into into the gaming side. There are lots of skill games out there. There are lots of um, interactive uh, games on the electronic media. So coming back to your question, of course you can take, and a lot of publishers have done that, can take a board game and move it, or a card game, move it over one-to-one to to, uh, an electronic media. And sometimes that works very nicely. I often think that sometimes you miss a trick because the electronic medium has other possibilities. And that's why I started designing electronic games. My latest obsession in inverted commas is uh, the iPhone games, yes. There is, of course, the Nintendo DS out there. It's almost like Macintosh and PC earlier, yes, because the Nintendo DS, these uh, Nintendo drives are very closed uh, shop. That means you need to get a license from them, that needs to get approved from them. Uh, they take a big license uh, out of this and it all is it's expensive and essentially you pay 20, 25 um, pounds uh, or euros or dollars for such a game. Uh, they're good games. 
Now look on the iPhone, Apple runs a very open uh, strategy and uh, everybody can essentially develop a, a game, uh, program a game, put it on the Apple Store and then sell it. So what happens is uh, there are lots of hobby people out there uh, and the prices really go down. It's, uh, you have a very open market and you buy these games for 99p or 59p sometimes. And these are good games. These are good gaming experiences. So I'm fascinated by these opportunities. Of course, they come with a downside. The downside is the quality is sometimes not that, that great. You might buy a few which are, with a critical view, not that good. But then you wasted 99p. So, so what? Yes. I think the fascinating thing here is that I can really sit down uh, and develop an iPhone game and develop something which is very simple because the iPhone game, nobody wants to read the rules there. You look at it, you want to see it intuitively. But uh, it, it suits me very well because I'm coming from these very simple rules and then give, the things, give something a real challenge, make people really you know, addicted in the positive way and say, can I not beat my best score and can I not do something there? And I have lots of ideas for that and I have developed a lot of uh, nice games and this is heaven for game design, you know, <laughs> because I write it up, I, I have a good idea, we'll develop it, we'll test it manually a little bit, but then I write the specification and then all I need to do is find a publisher and then the publisher pay me for it and the publisher produce my game and a few months later I can play it on the iPhone. It's my game and it's exactly what I wanted to play then I can play it, yes. Do you find that there's enough feedback in that mechanism? Is there a process by which you have a developer who helps you see what it's like while it's being built? Yeah. Experience helps in game design, but testing is essential. And that is for designing board games. The lifeblood of board game design is testing. Uh, it is, why are we playing games? Because it's fun, because it's stimulating. You cannot calculate this. You cannot test it out in an abstract manner. You have to play it. We play a lot. I play every day. Yes. We play a lot. We develop these games. Uh, and we, I experience these games. That's what is an iterative process, which then ends up with an ideal game, hopefully. What was the password of the Shift Run Stop Twitter account until you found out? <laughs> well, it was something really shit like Shift Run Stop or Password. In fact, I'm going to guess it was Shift Run Stop. It was Shift Run Stop. <laughs> <Swat>. <laughs> and I won't say what I changed it to because it still is, but it's a really good password yeah. that I changed it to. So it's a bugger. Not, not incredibly repeatable. <laughs> it's not. It's a little bit rude. It's good, um, unless you're trying to send a tweet from a Spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to get pressing the shift. It's incredibly awkward. Yeah, it's a high so. security password. Anyone mm. wanting to guess the shift run stop mm. password is going to be using shift a lot. <laughs> okay. This one's quite easy. This is my final question. Um, we appeared in Time Out earlier this year. We did. It's a podcast or a video podcast of the week. Yes. Uh, what word is missing from this sentence? <laughs> and we need a beep effect for the missing word. So if but we can on, find some sort you're of going to have to... You're going to have to beep yourself. I'm going to say beep. Okay, you're going to say beep. And bonus, they're not beep. American. Yes. Brilliant. And that was the week we had Alex Krutowski in, which made her feel great. Oh, God. That's awful. Yeah. Um, Did she mention that? No. Oh, that's nice. Right, so how many did you get right? You got five out of ten. Five out of ten. It's not bad. They were quite hard. They were pretty tough, but you'd think, (laughs) you know... Mind you, there have been now 40 episodes, mm. and that's, uh, that's a lot to hold in your memory. That's a lot of, that's a lot of information. Yeah. No, well done, 5 out of 10, Thank not bad. Thank you very much. Thank I think you for putting it It makes me place. feel like I've pitched it about right. Yeah, that was good difficulty. Yeah. So it's your turn next. I will put one together for you. <laughs> uh, 10 questions on the life and times 
of the horse. Uh, we talked about how you sort of transfer um, the abstract board gaming rules into electronic media. I'm quite interested in the idea of bringing electronics into board games because was it the King Arthur game that you was it? Can you tell us a bit about that? It's absolutely fascinating. This was a project with Ravensburger in Germany. They are a traditional board game company, uh, the market leader in Germany for a long time, very big in Europe. So they are not an electronic company. They made their try in an electronic company. They burned their fingers. Uh, they've now set a subsidiary, uh, and they do something else there. But their core business is, is uh, a social game, uh, a, a board game. So um, we experimented and said, can't we combine this? This is what we call hybrid games. So what you have there is you still have a board, and you still have uh, us sitting around the table, and you still have our figures moving around. But there is also an electronic unit uh, in King Arthur. It was, of course, the stone with a sword in there, which you try to get the sword out. And in King Arthur, we used a relatively elaborate technology because we worked with conductive ink. And uh, that means when you put your figure down, it had a little chip in there, and through little differences in currencies, uh, the unit knew, like, like magic, that you put your figure there, that it was your figure, and where you were, and then could react accordingly. And then the electronic was programmed, and so it reacted, and when you went in front of the guard in the castle, the, the guard spoke to you, and so you get a very different atmosphere, and then you could decide, do I want to befriend the guard, do I want to bribe him, do I want to fight him, do I want to be nice, uh, angry, do I want to run away if it gets to, when, when the dragon shows up. And we had a very, very good experience, and it fascinated the kids, yes, because you can try out so many things, and they tried it alone to get through their, through their adventures. The new project which I'm looking very much forward to is uh, a Hobbit game. We did the very successful Lord of the Rings and now of course the Hobbit uh, mm. movies are coming out. So what we are now, what, we, what I have done is I've already designed a Hobbit game. I'm absolutely thrilled about wow. it. It's slightly lower age group because the Hobbit uh, is for a lower age group. Uh, it's a very fascinating game. It will be out this, uh, this autumn, yes. And uh, so we'll be ahead, ahead of the, the movie. And uh, it is a very thrilling new game, which of course will also be in Britain and uh, I think will be, be having a big audience because once the movies are there, there's lots of uh, yeah. advertising, of course, for the movies and then the game will fly with it. The Hobbit, I was just going to say. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the first stories that we had read to us, I think, when we were little children. And Lord of the Rings, I think, is really boring. It's really, like, really hard. Go- it's got those weird little poems in it. That, is it Merry and Pippin always singing songs and stuff? Uh, it's got Tom Bombadil in it, who they cunningly oh. missed out of the film, I noticed. Is Tom Bombadil in the game? Uh, no. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> I think the Hobbit game, as it's a simpler game, will reach a lot of people, even non-game players, because they like the Hobbit, they're fascinated by the movie, they're fascinated by the book, and they'll try out the game. At least they get it as a present, and then they might play it. And so over Christmas, there may be lots of people hopefully playing the game. And this enriches the gaming culture because it doesn't really matter what game it is. As long as we reach new audiences, new audiences and new people uh, trying out games, uh, I think we enrich the world because it's not the worst thing to play games in the world, I think. Say thanks ever so much, I know it's been really fascinating. Oh, thank, you. thank you for having me here. Sure Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
That was Shift Run Stop, available on iTunes or from the website shiftrunstop.co.uk. I'm in computers. I'm in computers.